And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Well, good morning and welcome to uh, what is normally Financial Fitness Friday, but uh, you get me today. So it's uh, Friday and uh, we're going to go through kind of some of the market wrap for the week. Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. Got a few stories to get into this morning. One being Wells Fargo shutting down their personal credit lines. What does that mean? And interestingly enough, as they're doing this, they're actually negatively impacting the credit scores of all the people that had these credit lines with Wells Fargo. I mean, you know, they got to love Wells Fargo. If they can figure out a way to screw their customers, they're going to do it repeatedly. And they've been doing this over the last few years, uh, you know, opening up accounts that nobody wanted, you know, to get the fees. And uh, they keep getting, uh, you know, kind of slammed by Congress for doing this. But of course, you know, they did pass their Fed stress test. So they're in good shape, right? We won't, we won't need to bail out Wells Fargo again. Don't worry about that. You know, the, out of all the banks, you know, which are all basically mafia organizations at this point, Wells Fargo is like the mob boss. <laughs> J.P. Morgan is just right behind them. So <laughs> anyway, we'll get that story this morning uh, along with some others. But look, I want to go through a little bit of the market uh, stuff here because yesterday had a you know kind of a nice little crack in the market early in the morning. Market's down about 1%. No big deal. And I uh, just want to kind of keep things in perspective here. There's a couple of things going on. This morning on the website, we have a new article out talking about the importance of yields. And we, you know, we talked about specifically yesterday with the 10-year Treasury yield. Um, we're coming down to the 200-day moving average. Now, there's a good level of support here at the 200-day moving average. Don't be surprised if you don't see rates pick up here a little bit, uh, get a little bit of a reflexive rally uh, in rates here. Uh, again, nothing tends to move in one direction. But this move, this, this kind of fairly sharp drop lower here is interesting because this also potentially kind of corresponds with what Wells Fargo's doing, right? Um, this is showing some weakness somewhere in the economy. Now, you know, there's there, the problem and what yields tend to show, and this is the, the point of the article out this morning, is that they're issuing kind of a warning sign. It doesn't mean you go panic and sell everything and move into cash. It's not what it's saying. But what a drop in yields are telling you is really a couple of things. One, inflation isn't going to be nearly as strong as you think it is. Two, economic growth isn't going to be nearly as strong as you think it is. And three, earnings are earnings expectations going forward for the next two years are way too high. Those are going to have to come down because of weaker economic growth. And that's because there's such a high correlation between yields and what happens with inflation, the economy, wages and earnings for corporations. So, again, pay attention to this. Um, it is important. It is an important message. Does it mean that the bull market's over? Absolutely not. But it's something you definitely want to pay attention to. This really kind of also feeds into the fact that July tends to be one of the stronger months of the year uh, for the stock markets. August and September, not so much. Uh, in fact, if you go back to August and September of last year in particular, that was where we had two 5% corrections really kind of back to back. But look, the S&P is doing well. Yesterday, it bounced right off the 20-day moving average. And so again, nothing critically wrong with the S&P at this point. We're going to get a little bit of a bounce this morning. Again, just kind of really flirting with these highs. We're very close to triggering a, a sell signal here from a fairly high level worth paying attention to. But again, that's probably not going to be for another week or so. So we're, you know, we're 
we're getting there, we're just not there yet. And that suggests that normally what we see is a weak latter half of July, weaker August, September. That's kind of where the risks to the markets are. Again, let me be clear. Does that mean you go sell everything, go to cash? Absolutely not. That is not what that means. But it does mean that maybe if you're taking a lot of excess risk in portfolios right in your portfolio right now, chasing a lot of these meme stocks, etc., may want to think about kind of reducing some of that risk, just temporarily raise a little bit of cash. Yesterday, we raised about 5% cash in our portfolios. Again, nothing major, just kind of trimming around the edges, hedging that risk here just a bit. Because again, it's when you're looking at the S&P, you're going, hey, market are great, right? Everything's fine. Market's doing well, near all-time highs. Don't disagree. The problem is, is that you don't have a lot of strength in the overall markets, right? So if you start looking at what's happening, for instance, with mid caps, as an example, the S&P 400, it's been breaking down here lately, really getting close to testing a bottom uh, on a short-term basis that if it breaks, there's a fairly large decline to get back to the 200-day moving average. And again, that's just about to trigger a sell signal. Same way for the small caps. This is where a lot of the, the meme stocks currently trade. They're now a lot of those meme stocks are now very close to triggering a bear market in that group of stocks that's been weighing on the S&P again, like like mid caps, very close and look like to be on their way to retest their 200 day moving average on a sell signal currently. Um, again, international and, and emerging markets, take a look at emerging markets, big crack in the emerging markets about to test the 200 day moving average, big sell signal there. And also international markets. If we take a look at that, same exact type of look here where you've got this very declining trend. You've got the 20 day crossing below the 50 day moving average, big sell signal there, really kind of across the board, pretty far to go if you're in the international stocks. Got a ways to go here to get to 200-day moving average. So if you're running this kind of diversified portfolio where you have a little bit of everything, performance has really been weak here lately because the S&P, it's doing okay, but that's because we've got a very narrow rally in the markets. Really, the breadth of the market overall is very weak here suggesting that something isn't quite right, either economically, fundamentally, etc. You don't know what it is, but the markets are telling you that not everything is all as good as you hear in a lot of the financial media, a lot of the financial headlines. So it's just worth kind of paying attention to some of these underlying trends. Now, let's take a look at the inverse of the S&P, which is the short S&P 500 index. Very, very, very oversold here. Very close to triggering a buy signal. Would be suggestive of a potential correction in the S&P in the next month or so if that begins to trigger a buy signal there. So again, you know, as you start to kind of look at these these other anecdotal indicators of the markets, you're starting to see a setup here that suggests that we're likely due for a 5% correction or so in the markets. And as we said yesterday, the problem with a 5% correction is that it's going to feel a lot worse than it actually is because it's been so long since we've had a correction in the markets of any consequence we've gotten very used to markets just kind of going up right so we get very confident in ourselves we get very overly complacent in our in our positioning in our portfolios we kind of disregard some of the risk that's happening but this is why i'm saying if you take a look at your portfolio and if you're kind of one of these people that run a really diversified portfolio i've got a little bit of mid cap small cap international emerging markets all this a big chunk of your portfolio is really not performing that well because the markets overall aren't performing that well. Again, going back to what we said earlier, very narrow rally here, mostly growth stocks, NASDAQ, S&P doing well. 
Rest of the market's really not so much. So again, it's that kind of concentrated positioning in portfolios that's, that's you know, kind of concerning here um, about what's working versus what's not. And this is why, you know, good time to take a look at your model, say, you know, how much risk am I taking? What's working, what's not working? Maybe take a little bit of time to rebalance some of that risk in your portfolio, trim back some stuff, and, and, and just kind of look to reposition here for what might be. And again, I'm not saying for sure that it is, but there's plenty of warning signs right now that suggest the next couple of months we could see a pickup in volatility, a little bit of risk in your portfolio. So just something to think about here on a Financial Fitness Friday, right? Um, speaking of that, we'll come back after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. We'll pick up with Danny Ratliff, who's uh, laid up at home, zooming in on uh, his Zoom video call this morning. <laughs> Leg propped up. Uh, we'll get into his whole story this morning. What's going on with markets and uh, some of the financial planning stuff you need to know on a financial fitness Friday. Be right back. The Real Investment Show. Declare your financial independence. Our next candid coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next candid coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Independence Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Ross. So realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. I want to be the very best no one ever was. And welcome back to the show. This morning is 617 on this Financial Fitness Friday. Don't forget that uh, if you're watching our YouTube stream live right now, you just go to our YouTube channel on our website if, uh, to navigate your way there and, um, you know, join the chat as we've got going on. Um, we have our usual stream of, of groupies up there uh, posting questions and comments. And the key word today to make sure that you don't violate the Google algorithms are solar rocks. So... Make sure and proceed any question with solar rocks, and uh, that'll make sure that Google doesn't block your question. So after that, you can put whatever you want. So, <laughs> but uh, at the end of the show, Danny and I will uh, go through any of your questions or comments. So post your question up there. We'll try to get to as many as we can as we get through the show. So good morning, Danny. How are you? Hey, good morning. I'm doing okay. This is, this is actually kind of weird. Usually, you're at home, and I'm there, and you're heckling me on YouTube. And now I get the chance to do it, but I can do it live. There, there you better. go, right? Uh, well, you know, and, uh, of course, you know, if you don't know the story, Danny uh, racked himself up pretty good playing, you know, trying trying to be a youngster playing basketball, tours Patel attendant completely in half. So <laughs> how long yeah, are you laid no up? Yeah, no fun. I don't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, you're laid up for how long now? Eight months? Oh, no, no. I, I don't know the full recovery, but I, I can't even bend my leg for another four to five weeks. So, um, you know. Fun stuff. Yeah, but, you know, just make sure and milk it. This is the one chance in your life where you get your wife to just wait on your hand and foot, so don't waste it. <laughs> Man, Lance, if I try to milk one more thing out of this, I, I may not be coming back at all. <laughs> yeah, or, I think we're there. Or, Even the kids are kind of over it, I think, at this point. <laughs> or he might come back as peg leg. They'll just, you know, cut it off and just be done with it. So. 
<laughs> so, all right. Well, Danny, That's exactly couple, right. <laughs> so a couple of things this morning. One, I was uh, I mentioned this uh, kind of Wells Fargo issue this morning, and I thought it was interesting because, you know, Wells Fargo is just, you know, always trying to figure out ways to really kind of, you know, mess up their consumers. The prop, So here, let me give you a quick backdrop of the story just so you know what's going on. Wells Fargo has shut down. Um, all their personal credit lines. So there's a lot of people that depend on these personal kind of revolving credit lines. It's, it's a, and if you know what that is, it's a, it's a credit line you have at the bank. It's kind of like a credit card. And it's there for you if you need it. Now, it doesn't mean you have to use it, but if you draw down on your credit line, then you pay an interest on it just like you pay on a credit card. And then you can pay it off and then you've got it available for later. Well, Wells Fargo and their infinite, um, you know, love of their customers have now said, hey, guess what? If you've been using that credit line and depending on it in a lot of cases to, you know, for liquidity for your small business or just needing it for your personal living, et cetera. um, Yeah, we're going to shut those down in the next 60 days. Here's the problem with this. So in 60 days, they shut this down. Okay, no big deal, right? They just shut down your, your credit line. Now you're now you're saddled with a payment. You've got to make you've got to pay it off, right? <laughs> so they say, okay, you're just going to make minimum payments on it until it's paid off. The problem is when it comes to your credit report. This is this affects your credit report exactly the same as closing a credit card account. So it actually is a ding on your credit report, and you're not getting the choice to ding your own credit report. They're going to do it for you. So. You know, Danny, what are your thoughts on this? You know, Lance, I actually have personal experience with this. So I get out of school. In fact, I, my first job was at Wells Fargo Investments back in the day. And so um, I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to build additional credit. Had a little bit of credit through college, but used it wisely. And the interesting thing I find right now about this is that back then, I had that credit for, you know, four or five years. And then 2008 comes along. And they started to go in and either eliminate the lines of credit or they cut them in half. And this was across the board, mm-hmm. but we were in the midst of the, you know, the Great Recession. Right. I mean, you know, the, the, the financial industry is on the brink of extinction. So it was, you know, it was like, OK, this is just what they need to do in this environment. But now we're told the consumer is so healthy. Things look so good. And yet it's kind of an interesting thing to go to do this so preemptively. And that's what's kind of concerning to me. And obviously the consumer is getting hurt here. Obviously, the, the ding on the credit score. But the bigger picture is why, because historically they're going to charge more for these lines of credit mm-hmm. than they are for other types of, of credit. Right. So you would think this would be a no-brainer. Yeah, to keep that and enjoy that that higher interest rate. Well, and, and this is and this is and, and it's a great point because this is really their 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 reasoning was is we want to focus more back on credit cards and personal loans. But if you take a look at the loan data of banks, they're not lending money, right? They're not willing to loan money out right now because why am I going to loan money out at three or four or five percent? And take a risk of not getting paid back when I can just milk the Fed for, you know, <laughs> my overnight lending rate, right? So there's no sense in lending that money out. And, you know, credit cards have the same type of risk profile. So they really don't want to do that. And this is interesting because, again, in 2020, just last year, after the shutdown, they shut down all their home equity lines because they were afraid that people wouldn't pay back their home equity lines. Now they're shutting down personal lines of credit. Again, as you said, everything's supposed, you know, Consumers are supposed to be really healthy here. That's what we're told. So why are you preemptively shutting this down? And again, you know, I'm I'm not, you know, it's, these are those kind of little signs that you look for that something may not be quite right in the economy. I mean, you know, we we were talking about the opening here, this plunge in yields on the 10-year treasury. 
that really, if, if we if we're having inflation at five percent, six percent, whatever you want to call it, and we're supposed to have economic growth running at ten percent, you know, this quarter and five and six percent real rates of of economic growth this year, your yield on the ten-year Treasury shouldn't be one point three percent. There's just there's something not right, and and then this kind of action by Wells Fargo, maybe it's completely coincidental. Normally, you find out it's not. Correct. And in the environment that we're in with the inflationary aspect, this should give them the ability to raise those rates and make more money over mm-hmm. time. That's what, what I find rather troubling, I guess, with the whole picture. So they know more than what we're, we're being led on to believe, because every bank is out there saying how healthy the consumer is. They're paying down debt. They're paying down credit cards. If that was the case, they wouldn't even worry about this. Right. And I do think, you know, and look, uh, as I was saying earlier, Wells Fargo has got to be one of the worst banks on the planet. They've done everything they can to potentially screw over their customers, you know, opening accounts that they didn't, you know, for clients that didn't even want accounts. And uh, of course, the, the you know, the Fed kind of, sla- the, actually Congress actually kind of slapped them pretty well. They've lost their position because of restrictions that were put on the bank. They lost their position of being the largest mortgage underwriter. They lost that to Quicken Loans of all people. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know they've lost their their investment capability to JP Morgan so it, it, you know th- their actions have cost them billions of dollars if you look at Wells Fargo say as compared to JP Morgan just as a comparative bank right they've lost billions of dollars because of their actions and, and restrictions that have been put on the banks but it's okay don't worry about it because again they just passed their stress test so we won't need to bail them out you know, in the next financial crisis when it occurs, right? Well, it, you know, that's interesting, too, because they have poached so many people from the executive ranks of J.P. Morgan yep. that are now at Wells Fargo. So, I mean, if you look at their CEO, to, to the majority yeah. of their executives, they're all J.P. Morgan alumni. Right. It's almost like it's the Fed and Goldman Sachs. <laughs> Oh, you're the Fed? Okay, yeah, I know where you came from. So apparently the rats jumped on the sinking ship this time around, I guess, is not the uh, is, is the proper acronym. Um, anyway. There's enough uh, cheese, I guess so, right? <laughs> pay me enough, I'll do any job. Seems uh, like it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I do think this is interesting. And again, kind of, you know, going back, this is, you know, one things we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks of newsletters as well is, you know, pairing back risk in portfolios. And again, I don't want anybody to mistake that, you know, we're saying, hey, the market's about to crash. Oh my gosh, go, you know, go hide and cash. We're not saying that at all. You know, all we're saying is, 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 you know, we, you know, just yesterday we kind of pared back exposure in our portfolios. We raised about five percent cash. Not a big deal, but that helps hedge that risk. You know, we had increased our bond duration three, four, five weeks ago, um, adding TLT to our bond portfolio side just to increase that duration. Again, just another hedge against that risk. And and so just, you know, these are the, the small movements that we make here, but it's it's these type of signs that Danny and I are talking about right now that you just need to pay attention to. And again, it doesn't mean that you know, Wells Fargo's the the key to the next bear market, like Bear Stearns was. It's just these types of actions tell you that there's something. You know, Wells Fargo would not be making this decision if everything was as good as we're being told it is. If the consumer was as healthy as we're being told they are, this wouldn't be the case. And and for instance, this morning there was a couple of charts out talking about you know the big decline in credit card balances. Well, that's because the top 10% of income earners paid off their credit last year because they didn't really need it because there was nothing to do. 
So the, when you take a look at savings account balances, that's primarily owned by the top 10% of income earners who have just been sitting on cash now for, for a year or so. Again, you take a look at a lot of these statistical data points, they're heavily skewed by the top 10 and 20% of income earners. The bulk of American, you know, the bottom 80%, they're just getting by paycheck to paycheck. So Wells, what Wells Fargo's doing may be saying is like they were already seeing stresses in their credit lines. And I, look, I'm making an assumption here, right? I'm making an assumption. But if I'm Wells Fargo, I don't take this type of action unless I'm seeing stress in those portfolio balances. Right, Danny? Well, that makes perfect sense. I mean, if you look, if you strip out that top 10 to 20%, you know, we're seeing that actually credit balances have increased for about 62% of Americans, which... Granted, we've had all the stimulus. We've had additional funding from the unemployment, which has helped a lot of people. Mm -hmm. However, you know, everybody always thinks tomorrow is going to be better. And, and we're optimistic. But I think that at the end of the day, you know, people say, well, I'm going to get that raise or I'm going to get back to work. And so they continue to spend and that becomes an issue. And so I think those two are tied hand in hand. Yep. Well, and again, it's, you know, it's great that we gave people money, which was awesome. Um, but wages didn't rise and inflation and, that, and the, the free money giveaway has now caused a spike in inflationary pressure. So prices all went up <laughs> and now they're out of stimulus money and wages didn't keep up with the rise in prices. So this becomes problematic, problematic very quickly. In fact, if you looked at the credit card balance data yesterday, big spike in consumer credit last, uh, over the last month as stimulus from February has now run out. The tax refund checks have come through uh, for a lot of individuals that's been spent and now the reality of is oh crud gas is three dollars a gallon my electric bill's gone up my food prices are up and my wages didn't go anywhere <laughs> so be right back after the break pick up danny get into some other stories uh you're listening to the real investment show get by the website our article is out today actually talking about bond rates and why they are issuing a warning sign. And we kind of go through the data of why interest rates on bonds are so very important because it's the analysis that goes into loaning money that dictates the drive and the, and the size of the economy. Be right back. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Declare your financial independence. Our next candid coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next candid coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Financial Independence Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Yeah, so uh, just kind of looking through a couple of the Google comments here during the break. And uh, yes, you're right. Uh, normally, Richard's here on Friday. He decided to have a car wreck yesterday. Danny's laid up at home with his knee blown out. So yeah, I got suckered into coming down here on my Friday. So <laughs> I don't know what's going on around here, but... <laughs> We're, oh, too, we're just following your lead, Lance. We're, we're two down and count. Hey, I I haven't done. I'm I'm still here. 
<laughs> so, for now. For now. <laughs> the old guy rules. I, <laughs> so Well, I mean, you're the bionic man. I mean, you're going to live forever. So it's well, uh, the only reason I'm living forever is because you won't let me retire. So let's just be honest about this, right? That is very true. <laughs> All right. So what, know, we, what we got to talk about this morning, Danny? You know, Lance, I know how you love Oreos. Have you seen that Oreos set to release two new flavors? Okay. Uh, yeah. Get me. Get me here. So go ahead. All right. So new apple cider donut is going to be one, and salted caramel brownie cookie. Can we? Okay. Is this the, is this one of those social liberal left things that we're doing now? We're going to screw up Oreos too. <laughs> So. Well, hey, I don't think they're changing anything from the regular <laughs> batter, right? But they're they're, they're going to do this. Hey, I'm not a big fan of it. I'm, I'm kind of old school. I like just the regular. Yes. I do like the, what is it, the golden ones? Those are good. Yeah, those but, are good. I, I'll let you go with the golden ones. But, yeah, don't mess with the Oreos. You know, look, this is and this is the one thing that, you know, these companies are really getting good at is is promoting new things to save money on their side so like oreo thins they charge you more to give you less <laughs> so you know, that's right you, you know and if you notice have, have you bought oreos lately no you haven't bought any for your kids we don't see we don't we don't and our kids are so deprived no <laughs> in our house it's fruits vegetables like they're they're mad when they wake up okay so when your kids are gonna wind up when they get to that age they're gonna go to their friend's house and they're gonna find all this stuff out and they're gonna hate you <laughs> so Oh, they already do. It's okay. It's like, like, you don't have anything to eat? Nope. <laughs> I got nothing. And you'll like it. But no, I mean, this is, so, we, so our kids got older, right? So now they don't eat that. They don't eat that stuff anymore. So we don't get to buy them. But the last time we bought a bag of Oreos, if you open up the bag of Oreos, there's like six of them missing at the front of the bag. I mean, it's kind of like a bag of potato chips now. You're, you're getting, you're going to eventually buy a bag of Oreos. There's going to be one cookie in it. That's going to be it. Sold by weight, not <laughs> exactly. by volume. So anyway, sorry, I, I hijacked your topic. Go ahead. No, no, that's okay. So, you know, yesterday, Lance, we did our, um, Long-term care lunch and learn webinar right. had a you know a lot of people attend. I think it's a very good event. You know, talking about some of the, the concerns, right? So what you know we're seeing with this economic forecast and kind of where we've been, these things are going to become more and more important. You know, some of the comments we've received as well. And this will be a good one for you. Is you know we model differently for different types of inflation. So whether it be health insurance, whether it be long-term care versus your general day-to-day -day expenses, your non-discretionary needs, they all look a little bit different when we do a financial plan. But it's beginning to get a little bit more difficult to model for healthcare, especially in the light of COVID and all the things that are occurring. And what are your thoughts as far as what that's going to look like longer term? Because, you know, we've talked about how some of this transient inflation, we've talked about more permanent. Is this an area, especially with the large, you know, the, the large amount of people that are turning 65 every day, mm -hmm. is this something you're going to see that's going to continue to to occur as far as the higher inflation in that area, that area. Well, no, there's, there's, so there's, okay. So first of all, long-term, um, we're going to have deflation, not inflation. And, and the reason for that is, is exactly what you alluded to was demographics. You've got a large group of baby boomers that are moving into retirement. They consume less to start with, um, as they move into retirement. And they're also going to be drawing assets out of the system, not putting assets into the system. So that is deflationary in nature. There's a, um, an old saying that demographics are destiny. And then the problem for the younger group, and particularly the Gen Z, the millennials, A, but Gen Z is even more to that point, is they are 
either a postponing having children for a very long time or not having them at all. In fact, our birth rates this year are now at the lowest level since the 40s. Why is it that the 40s had such a high birth rate? Well, everybody was overseas fighting the war. And when they came home, the first thing they did was that. And then they had kids. So... (laughs) You know, I mean, you've been hanging out with a bunch of dudes for like eight months overseas. So when you came home, you know, it was on. Right. And so we had this massive surge in demographics at that point in time. And of course, that was and the reason that the 50s and the 60s. This is one thing that we always forget is that when you look at the 50s, 60s, 70s, why was that economy so strong? Well, A, debt-to-income ratios were extremely low. Most, most individuals had no credit cards. They had no debt other than their mortgage. Mortgage was very modest um, at that case as well. I mean, people didn't live in $350,000 McMansions back then. They had you know, a two-, three-bedroom house, maybe 1,000 square feet, 1,100 square feet at the most. And a lot of them were even smaller than that. Um, but they worked and they went to work and they manufactured because we were the only manufacturing, we were the manufacturing epicenter of the entire world because after World War II, we had blown up everybody else and so we had to rebuild everything. So we had a very strong manufacturing base. We had a very strong productive base. We had a big demographic surge coming up and talk about pent-up demand. You had just spent everything on the war effort so when people came home, when Johnny came home from the war again, it was buying everything, houses, cars, and, and everything to catch up from that war effort, right? So you had this culmination of events that we cannot repeat today. And so a lot of people expecting a return of that type of economic growth are delusioned because we cannot, we do not have the structural capacity because of the debt, the demographics, and because of the shift from manufacturing to services cannot replicate that growth rate of the 60s and 70s. But to your point specifically, we're going to have inflation short term because of all the stimulus. Now, that's starting to fade off. I think there'll be another bout of inflation, maybe 12, 18 months from now, because everybody that couldn't buy anything now. So, for instance, right now, if, if I have money, I can't buy anything because, you know, are you going to go buy a used car today? I mean, the, the prices are ridiculous. Uh, buy new cars. Richard is. Yeah, yeah. You know, buy a new car today. Prices are ridiculous. Even if you can get a car that you want, it's hard to get. You know, so, um, just an example of when we had the freeze. Um, as an example, um, we lost a television and a receiver in our game room. And so I've been trying to replace it. Have not been able to find a receiver to replace it with now since the freeze back in February. So just because of the shortage, and I'm not willing to pay the prices for it. And everybody's like, well, you can get receivers. Yeah, you can, but you're going to pay through the nose for it. So I'm just going to wait. So there's, I have, I personally have some demand of some things I need to get to replace in my house, but I'm going to wait until things come back online. That's going to be about 12 to 18 months from now. So we potentially have another surge of inflation coming potentially over that. Then after we get over that hump, supply chains are done and we're back to kind of normal activity. Demand will fall. When demand falls, supply chains will realign themselves. And then you're going to get back into the deflationary pressures of the economy as the economy returns to back to about 2% growth or less. And with the debt that we're mounting up, we're probably going to see um, less growth going forward than we see today. Now, what could change that dynamic short term? Well, if the so coming up in September, August, September is going to be the debt ceiling. And we're also going to get to the new budget cycle for the government. 
So at that point, once there's a new budget cycle in place, the Democrats can now use reconciliation to try to pass through their American families plan. And that's where all that social kind of uh, capital is being targeted, right? So that's going to be expansion of child tax credits, the uh, expanded family uh, family leave, and um, you know all the other stuff that they want to do, all kind of crammed in that bill. Now the question will be whether or not they can get Joe Manchin on board, to who's a Democrat, to actually go along with it. He's already opposed this bill before, which is why the infrastructure bill is about nine hundred billion, one point two billion, somewhere around there solely on infrastructure, because that was the only type of bill that Joe Manchin would back. So if they can get Joe Manchin on board, there's a potential they can use reconciliation to pass this two point whatever trillion dollar plan in the fall. That would potentially provide more liquidity to to the economy uh, temporarily. But again, that's going to create an inflationary lift. Because if you stick a bunch of money in the, the economy, this is the big fallacy, right? The big fallacy is, is that the government can solve poverty. So let's presume Danny's in poverty because he will be if he doesn't get back to work soon. Um, so Danny's living paycheck to paycheck. He's $20,000 a year in income. And so I give him 30000 So, yeah, I've lifted him out of poverty right now. So for a year, Danny's going to be out of poverty, living large, right? Because he's got an extra ten grand to spend. Problem is, is the, the rest of society catches up with that in terms of price. So everything in prices comes up because now that I know Danny has more money to spend, I charge him more for the stuff he wants to buy. So the entire cost of living will now come up to $30,000. Next year, Danny will be back in poverty. That's the problem with recycling tax dollars. So even if we pass, so my point is, is that if we pass this plan, we could see a, a, another surge in inflation short term. That will also coincide with supply chain lines coming back in line. And then we get a bigger deflationary drop after that. So it's just a function of timing. Either we have a short term deflation, a pickup in inflation, then deflation, or we get a bill passed that leads that pulls forward all that inflation. And then we get a really big drop in deflation when that comes off the line in 18 to 24 months. So the question longer term, and we'll wrap this up when we come back, is inflation short term, but deflation is coming back long term, and it's going to come back with a vengeance when it does because we've pulled forward so much consumption because of all the stimulus. Be right back after the break with Daniel Ratliff. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Declare your financial independence. Our next Candid Coffee can liberate you from the stale rules touted by mainstream financial media. Know the enemies of your wealth and fight them on your terms. We'll arm you with the information you need at our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Saturday, July 24th. Register now at realinvestment.com. 
RatliffAndRosso.com. The Financial Independence Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. RealInvestmentAdvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Good morning. Welcome back to the show at 647. Uh, so Danny got me all fired up. He, he's good about this. He throws, he's, he's like, you know, he throws like bait in the water. <laughs> he like chums the water, throws the topic out there and gets me fired up on deflation. So anyway, you had a, you had a point about inflation, deflation and adjusting for healthcare costs. So what was that? <laughs> Well, you know, I completely forgot because I, I threw one chunk out there and you <laughs> ate the whole thing. So, uh, no, well, I think the biggest We're thing is a bigger it's, boat. It's getting, <laughs> yeah, it's becoming more difficult to understand exactly, you know, what that inflation may or may not look like when we start to really get into the weeds of it. And I think it's important to understand that healthcare does need to be inflated a little differently than the rest of our costs. So, you know, we talked yesterday about long-term care. Um, that is typically the elephant in the room, Lance, when we talk about, you know, big picture financial planning. And so many times it's done incorrectly. You know, you get somebody who says, oh, this is how much the costs are. Here's what you need to spend. And they don't look at the big picture as far as how you draw down assets, what other things you may have. Um, and so I think it's really important. This will be up on our YouTube channel here shortly. So go take a look. Uh, Brent will send a note out once it is. Thank you guys for following. Um, and then if you guys have other topics you'd like for us to cover, Go to realinvestmentadvice.com, click on the Ask a Question tab, or shoot us an email. We'd love to, uh, you know, we're always looking for more information and things that are important to you because that's why we do these things. Yeah, exactly. And, and they're also a good way to kick your ambient habit. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, and, thanks, Lance. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, by the way, speaking of long-term care, you know, for, for a while there were some policies running around that you could buy that would – you know, if you don't use them for a while, they would actually start to, to double in value and, and give you more benefits um, as you move into actually needing long-term care. Look, two out of three people are going to wind up in some type of care, you know, long-term care facility. Um, my kids already threatened to put me there already, so I'm not sure why. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, this is going to, uh, you know, are there policies out there right now that, you know, are really beneficial for, you know, putting money into long-term care? Yeah, there really are, Lance. And the, the landscape has changed drastically in long-term care. If you think back to the 80s, 90s, it was the traditional insurance, just like you pay your auto yeah. insurance, your health. Um, you know, you're paying on a monthly basis. The issue has been that those policies, back in the day, there were over over 100 carriers. Now there's about 10 that's still, that are still in the game that actually still offer these different types of policies. So we've seen over time, though, they've gotten a lot more creative. So we're, we're actually seeing where they're doing more hybrid policies, life insurance, with a long-term care rider or life insurance with long-term care coverage. That's very important to understand the difference between all these and then indemnity versus non-indemnity plans. And we could really get in the weeds on this. But, you know, to understand exactly how it works, when it pays, who it pays is extremely important. And so there are are lots of of new avenues, Lance, that I think people are becoming more attuned to and they're exploring saying, okay, maybe this isn't this, this isn't what I thought it was. And we're finding that the issue a lot of times is that I talk to people all the time. Every day we talk about big picture financial planning and you know long-term care is always a, a piece of that puzzle. And a lot of times say, you know what? My kids are gonna watch me. 
Uh, you know, kind of like you mentioned, well, my kids are already they're they're buying a policy. And we actually know people whose children have bought policies for them. They're saying, hey, this is a lot better doing this now and a lot cheaper than us all having to worry about it in 20, 30 years. And I think that's great. So there are there are avenues. But, you know, one of the things is look at the look at how this impacts your financial plan. Make sure you're not just buying it you know, on emotion. You need to be able to back into these numbers, just like we would look at with life insurance, with anything else. Um, and that is one of the things that is so often overlooked because just like an annuity, well, an annuity may look good for you, Lance, that the same annuity may look good for me and anybody else who needs it if all you have is an annuity salesman. So taking that step back and kind of from a holistic viewpoint, I think is extremely important on this. And then somebody who can go through the weeds and say, it's not just this, but you can look at a number of different types of products and how does that work for you and your family? Yeah. Um, you know, and two things here, uh, just from a financial planning perspective, don't tell your kids that you have an insurance policy. I made that mistake and my son started looking up online, you know, that if you eat five cherry pits, you'll die. So <laughs> I'm now I'm now looking for a professional food taster. So if you want a job, let me know. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, this is um, one of the things that, you know, again, it's important and we don't pay attention to this because it's dealing with mortality. We don't buy life insurance. We don't buy long-term care because we don't want to deal with mortality just personally um but these are important things to consider and there's some real benefits i mean you know overfunding whole life policies we've talked about it's a great way to build tax-free wealth um you know and it's interesting there's uh, some comments out yesterday about the number of new businesses being created there's been a big spike last year of businesses being formed and it's it's a, everybody thinks that these are people forming businesses to go to work for themselves. No, it's not. These are people forming businesses for tax shelters to protect them against the Biden administration. So they're uh, funding a comp they're creating an LLC, for example, buying a whole life policy, putting it in as the beneficiary of the LLC. Um, there's a lot of ways to create tax free wealth and to shelter that wealth from government overreach. And that's where you know. And again, how do you know, Lance? How do you know that's the case? Well, if you take a look at the number of businesses that are actually out there there's like 35 million businesses how many of those businesses actually have an employee six million so there's a tremendous number of businesses out there that are formed for the purposes of tax shelters and and those type of things and and again um, just as a way my trust is sheltered, I have a, an LLC that's a trust, but then I have another company that is the managing partner of that trust to give it two layers of shelter from overreach and from risk. So again, there's two companies right there that have no employees and, and just and you can just multiply that out from there. So it's important to really understand when you see, and again, this goes back to debt to income ratios and all this stuff. You've got to really understand, you know, while the headlines sound great, there's a very big differential between headlines and reality and what actually happens. You know, speaking of Joe Manchin and taxes, Lance, I mean, they're having a difficult time. You know, it seems like the, the Biden administration had its big push at the beginning of the summer, early, late spring. And now it's, it's kind of fallen on deaf ears. The and I guess everybody's impression is that they're going to get back to work on the, the tax bills. But Joe Manchin's still not there. I mean, you talk yeah. about now, it looks like the bigger push is corporate taxes versus individual taxes. I think we'll be yet to see what that, how this whole thing plays out. That's why we've, we've been advising people, hey, let's wait and see. Let's take that approach. We think by fourth quarter, we'll get a little bit more clarity as far as what that may or may not look like. And then we can start making sound decisions from there from an estate planning perspective. And that's another big piece of the puzzle, you know, that we talk about frequently is not only, you know, the wealth management part, the things that you're talking about daily, but how do we also keep more money in your pocket? 
Um, and this is going to be more and more important over the years. Like we've talked about Roth conversions and overfunding those life insurance policies for, for quite a while. And now it seems like mainstream media is finally, they're jumping on the boat. It's like, oh man, you need to do a Roth conversion. You need to put funds into a Roth or life insurance. Well, you missed the boat if we start changing taxes this year or <laughs> next year. You didn't have any time to, to start doing that over time. So, you know, the interesting dynamic here will be how does this whole thing play out and what will you still be able to do to kind of find loopholes and find ways around it? We'll find some ways, yeah. but, um, you know, inevitably we always do. So a couple of questions here this morning, um, you know, talking about, you know, is this a good time to start investing in healthcare and utilities? You know, look the way to navigate markets is to always look for stuff that gets out of favor, right? Um, you know, there's there's two ways to invest. One, you can index, right? And this is where people just buy an index and you can ride the markets up and down. The other way to invest, and you can still do this passively using ETFs, but is to watch the rotation of sectors. There's There's an old saying that there's always a bull market somewhere. And just because something fails, you know, so if the index is going down, it doesn't mean there's not sub-indexes that are also going up at the same time. And that goes, well, how can the market be going down and the index is going up? It's because money rotates. Uh, money doesn't just leave the market. It just rotates to different places. Maybe it moves from stocks to bonds. Maybe it moves from uh, high-growth stocks to more safety stocks like utilities and, and healthcare. And so, yeah, when we start, and, and again, there's also the premise that there are, if you need to remain invested, but want to lower your risk, you can invest in more safe type profile sectors of the markets that will still go down if the market goes down, but they just won't go down as much, right? So you can help shelter some of the downside in, 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 in your portfolio. So one of the things is that, yes, right now, utilities are, are pretty oversold here. They've been out of favor. We're starting to see some, we're already starting to see some of the rotation. If you read our newsletter um, on our uh, subscriber website, we actually go through a full sector rotation analysis every week. And we have a, a chart called a risk range report that shows the risk ranges. It also shows the rotation of sectors. And so you can kind of see where money's starting to rotate to. And, and this is why we bought bonds about four or five weeks ago is because we started seeing that rotation back into bonds, even though the price was still not doing well at that point, you could see the rate of change in the price changing and becoming more positive. And so that's why we started adding bonds into our portfolio. So a lot of the things that we talk about here on the show about, you know, opportunities and risk and and those type of things comes from looking at that sector rotation analysis. So, yeah, if, if the markets are going to weaken, it's going to be in the more the, the kind of the FANG stocks, the, that area of the market. Again, emerging markets, international, small cap, mid cap. I'm going to do a, a three minutes on markets and money today going back through our uh, through our full analysis. Um, and that'll be up here on the website shortly. But those sectors have been grossly underperforming and there's a lot of, of concern there. So we could see money start to rotate. And those are the things that you want to start looking for as opportunities to both shelter cash and maybe even make some money, even if the if the broader market declines itself. So that's it. So, so um, great question on here about having a potential uh, chat window. We're actually working on that. We are about to launch a new website. You can see our new logo behind Danny right now. Um, we're about to launch a brand new website. And part of that new website will be a community chat kind of forum room and that we're working on. So you can, you can post questions, comments anytime. And Danny or I or Richard will, will answer those. So we're working on all that. It's coming. Be patient. 
And we'll see you next time on the next edition of the Real Investment Show on Monday. So have a great weekend. Three minutes of markets and money coming out and our new article on the website now about the yield warning that's currently going on. Realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you Monday. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.